I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the New Testament book of James, and we're actually going to take a break from our sermon series called What Faith Looks Like, and, and we're going to focus a little bit on some of the challenges that are in our world and some of the challenges that are in our church right now. I know a lot of you possibly have stood in line at the store over the last couple of days, and maybe some of you are facing health challenges, or maybe you know somebody in your world that is, is facing health challenges or trials. And as a church, we are facing trials as, as we're going to need a new location next week, and we're not quite exactly sure where we're going yet. But I want you to know this. It's nobody's fault. Nobody is in the wrong for anything that has, has happened here. As a, as a small church... This is a trial that we must walk through. This trial can actually lead to some people not coming to church anymore. This trial can lead, sometimes people hear the, the, the bad news of the fact that, that a church has to move and they'll become sad and some people get down and, and, and depressed and Sometimes sorrow can overcome. Sorrow can overcome us in health issues. It can overhelp, uh, overcome us when we, when we look at the news and we say we don't know what's going to happen and it becomes so overbearing because we don't have the answers. A lot of us are going through right now, we're watching news that we have never seen before in our lives. We've never seen this. We don't know what's going to happen. When there are natural disasters in our world, when we can see that in a week a hurricane is going to hit the East Coast, by now we know what's going to happen. We know there's going to be devastation, and we know that in about two weeks that hurricane's going to make its way through, and now we can repair. We know what happens. In this, we have no clue what's going to happen. This process that has led to our trial as a church and to our, our trial as people, this has all come rather suddenly. I'm thankful, however, for the strong biblical foundation of this church because what looks like a trial on the surface is nothing more than a minor inconvenience. By the time we get to this point next year, we're going to look back and we're going to say, we had to face this and we faced this. But God is so much bigger than this. Amen? Amen. I want to be honest with you that when I originally heard that we weren't going to be able to hold church here, I, I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried. I knew that we would find a home, that, that our mission would continue. I was more concerned about, about the why this happened and what we were going to learn from it. And I think a lot of people are still trying to understand why exactly this happened, and, and we haven't quite got that figured out yet. Many people have mentioned that, that some people will, will even say this in your world, that, you know what, As we must have done something wrong because Satan is really trying to interrupt the word and the work of the gospel. Well, that's what we're doing in this church is we're becoming known. And the work that we're doing in our city is undoubtedly 
gaining the attention of the enemy and his demons to where they want to shut down the word of God and they want to shut down this church. They want to shut down anything that they can. Now, I know the pandemic is bigger than just the church, but if the church does not come out healthy from this, Satan is going to be rejoicing. We can't let that happen. We cannot let that happen. I think of everything that we know, we as the church know that nothing is going to stop the spread of the gospel. I will tell you that we will come to some point here soon when, the, when our world and when our health leaders have stopped the spread of a pandemic, but Satan will not stop the spread of the gospel. It's not going to happen. After last week and praying on our situation for a few days, I, I didn't know, and, and it's happened before that the Lord has put this on my heart, because we've been through this type of a situation before. And there was really put on the idea on, on my heart that what if it's not Satan that's trying to drive us out? What if it's actually God that's trying to drive us out? Can this, can this actually be the work of the Lord that's going to move our church? Can this be God telling us that our season of comfort has been fulfilled? Can, can, can He be closing this door at this school so we can open another door so that we can be stronger in our next phase of growth? Could He be having us move into a different location while He does work to repair the location where we were? I think it's safe to say that God is never going to take his hand off of the church. And I have full confidence that, that we are going to follow his path. Let me tell you where we're at. I know I mentioned a few minutes ago where we are as a church right now. One of the most difficult parts of our process is finding a new place to meet for a, at least a new temporary home. We have right now, I have on Monday, three appointments for three different locations that we could possibly go to. Our school will be open to us once again. When this is over, the school district has said, yes, you can come back. We're going to need a temporary home. But we're going to continue to meet and we're going to continue to spread the gospel because that is our job. See, the, the Great Commission doesn't say go into all the nations until the government tells you to stop and then just kind of take it easy for a little bit until they say it's okay. Say go and tell. That's our job, is to go and tell. And, and being that we're going and telling, we have to be safe. But we can't stop going, and we can't stop telling. I'm 100% confident that God knows exactly where we're going to meet next week. I mentioned this verse a minute ago. It's a, it's a life verse of mine. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8, it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 20 this morning in a message that I have titled, Joys in Trials. In the book of James, 
we hear the half-brother of Jesus speaking to Jewish converts to Christianity, to followers. Uh, they they were, were Jews, now they're following Jesus, and they've been scattered outside of Jerusalem into many neighboring towns. These are mainly Gentile towns that don't want them there because they're Jewish. They were Jewish, now they don't want them there because they're Jewish and Christians. The Jews don't want them there because they're not Jews anymore. They're, they're following Christ. These are people who are, have been ostracized and pushed to the outside of even societies that don't want them. And, and James is telling these new followers, he's giving them hope. We're in James chapter 1, verse number 2. James writes this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Those are great words. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Trials are the cause. Joy is the effect. Trials are the cause. Joy is the effect. James shows us a different side of trials. See, many times when we're struggling in our lives with trials, maybe it's a court case that's coming up. We get down, we get frustrated, we, we fall into sorrow because of the situation that's in front of us. But James reminds us that there is joy on the other side of this. He says there's a cause and an effect. He wants us to remember and look at the effect. Joy is on the other side of this trial. And he says this, he says, I want you to count this trial as joy because we're going to grow out of it. When you go to the gym, you are testing your muscles. If you think about it, every time that you go and you get under that barbell or you get, you get on that treadmill, you are going to test. You're putting your muscles to the test. He says, count it joy when you're on the treadmill because what happens when you're testing your muscles on the other side of this is strength. You're growing your muscles, you're growing through this trial. It's a science project going on in our trials that James is talking about here. He, he's telling us to look past the now and to recognize the final outcome. In our case, we don't know what the final outcome is, but we know it's not where we're at now. We know that there's a different outcome. James says, when you count, count it all joy when you face trials. He doesn't say if. He says, count it all joy when you face trials. You are going to see trials. We as a church are going to see trials. As a nation, we're going to see trials. But what do we gain from it? Patience. We gain patience. Some versions are going to say perseverance is what you gain. See, if we try to force God's hand and push our trials away, then we're excusing ourselves from a learning opportunity. We are excusing ourselves from the chance for God to teach us something because we're saying, I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to walk away from it. You know what? The trial doesn't go away. 
The situation doesn't go away. We have to walk through it. If we don't walk through it, we don't learn. We can't experience the joy on the other side if we don't walk through it. Trials are not actually all bad. They're they're a reminder that, that we are still here and that we're going to be okay. And they're a reminder that our, our hearts are, are still beating. That, that this is where God wants us to be. We read from the Apostle Paul. He's, he, he's, he's written what's called the pastoral epistles. And we have his what's called the prison epistles. His prison letters. The book of Ephesians is written from prison. The book of Colossians is written, written from prison. Philippians uh, or Philemon written from pr- prison. The book of Philippians... If you read that book, some people call it a book of joy. You would have no clue that he is a prisoner in a cell when he is writing this. Because it's a book full of joy. He sees what is on the other side of the trial and he is experiencing joy in the trial that he is in. Because he knows that joy comes out of this. He's actually so joyful in the moment because he knows that he is in a trial that makes him stronger. Pregnancy, from what I hear, is not too terribly comfortable. But you know, from the trial of pregnancy comes a great joy. We actually have a name for it. We call it a bundle of joy. There's trials that come from, from dating. It's a, it's a trial, but there's at times a joy of marriage that comes out of that. There are trials from aging. We find a joy in wisdom. There's trials in parenting. That's the joys of grandparenting. There's trials in our family struggles that, that bring us the joy of forgiveness within our family. As a church, we walk through this transition or this trial, and I want you to recognize that this trial that we're going to walk through leads to joy. Trials are the cause. Joy is the effect. Moving to a temporary home, that's our trial. The joy is the effect. Retaining our our setup crew And all of our volunteers, I will tell you, this is going to be a trial. To continue to have a a kids ministry, continue to have wherever we're at next week, people show up and say, yeah, I'm going to help set up. But joy is the effect. Letting people know where we're going to meet next week, that is, that's a trial. That's going to be difficult. Joy is the effect. But this transition in this trial, it doesn't come without help from above, amen? <laughs> I'll tell you, as, as, a, as a pastor, I don't take these trials lightly. The leadership of, of this church doesn't take these trials lightly. There have been many, many hours of prayer already to get to where we are. You've noticed differences in church even this morning. Donuts that are wrapped, a tithe box up here, kids that are washing their hands. I mean, we, we were actually, the leadership gathered yesterday to talk about how do we manage through this. And let's pray, Lord, lead us through this. 
And I want you to know, as we grow, as we go, we are following the Lord's path. I want you to come back with me to James 1, where in verse number 6, James says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave in the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and this world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Here's the second point I'd like you to write down. God's heavenly remedy for our trials is to give us the wisdom to see our situation as He does. God's heavenly remedy for our trials is to give us the wisdom to see our situation the way that He does. Could it be fair to say that He sees our trials differently because God can see the end? He can see the education that we're going to gain through this, but He knows what's going to happen. He also knows exactly where we are right now, struggling, maybe struggling with sorrow, struggling with our faith. Sometimes we struggle with the fact that we don't know what's going on. God does. His heavenly remedy is to give us the wisdom to see our situation the way He does. You know the way He sees our situation? From His perspective, He sees it as being in control. He sees it as, I'm in control of this. I've got this. He wants us to have the wisdom to understand. We might not have all the answers, but He does. Be fair to say, that takes wisdom to come to God and to give Him the faith that you are much bigger than I am. You've got this. You are much bigger than a sports team closing down and shutting down. You've got this. You are much bigger than a global pandemic. You've got this. That takes a lot of wisdom. It also takes wisdom to say, I understand that I need to be safe. That I need to be able to protect myself and I need to, in doing so, protect others. And sometimes I am going to have to stay home. There's some places that I'm going to need to stay away from. If I'm well enough to go to church, I'm going to go to church. But if I'm not, maybe I need to stay at home and listen on the podcast and, may, and maybe, maybe talk on the phone to others in my small group. Those are going to be really important. James is saying that our trials should point us back to Jesus and to be asking our Savior for wisdom. Wisdom is the only thing, I want to tell you this, wisdom is the only thing in the Bible that we're told that if you ask for it, <clears throat> you're guaranteed to receive it. It's the only thing in the Bible. You're not told ask for love and you're going to receive it. Ask for breath and you're going to receive it. We're never told to ask for health, ask for wealth. Wisdom is the only thing that God says, you ask for it and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you liberally. I'm not even, I'm without, what, he says, if you just ask for it, I'm not going to hold anything over for it over you, over your head. I'm not going to ask you to do a hundred jumping jacks. I'm not going to ask you to jump through hoops. You ask for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. It's the only thing in the Bible that he says, ask, ask for it and I'm going to give it to you. He has, though, one stipulation. 
We find that in James chapter 1, verse number 6. He says this, he says, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Would it be fair to say if we're asking for somebody who we doubt exists, that we're not going to receive what we're asking for for somebody who we don't believe in? Why are we asking God for wisdom if we don't really believe that God can deliver us wisdom? He says, I will give you wisdom, just ask. Would it be fair to say, if I were to, and I've asked this before, ask for a raise of hands of everyone who is wise enough. I don't need any more wisdom. Please don't give me any more. I've got way too much wisdom. Woo! Stop giving me wisdom. Way too wise over here. We could all use wisdom, right? God says, ask for it, and I will give it to you. Just believe that I'm going to give it to you. Believe in me, and I'm going to give it to you. We need to be asking for wisdom. How are we going to see our trials the way that God sees our trials if we're not looking through God's lens? How do we look through God's lens? We look through His lens when we're looking through with wisdom. See, we can't see what God sees if we're looking through from an earthly lens. If we're looking through a selfish lens, we can't see what God sees. What we see is ourselves at that point. Blessings come from being able to see our struggle in the same way that God sees them. Come back with me again. We're in James chapter 1. I want you to see what James writes in verse number 12. He says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Point number three in your notes this morning is this. God will test our faith, but he will never tempt us to be unfaithful. God will test our faith. We're told that. But God's not going to tempt us to be unfaithful. There's a difference between testing and temptation. Tempting is defined by James here. Tempting leads to sin. Tempting comes from selfish desire. Temptation will lead you to what you want instead of what God wants. That's temptation. Might God test our faith, though? Sure. He says at point blank, why would God test our faith? Why do we go to the gym and test our muscles to make them stronger, right? Why would God test our faith? Same thing, same reason. To make our faith stronger. It's not temptation. He's not going to give us temptation. But testing is to make something stronger. It's so we can grow deeper. The test is staying together as a church. The temptation is to drift away. The temptation says, you know what, I, I don't, 
I'm, I'm, you know what? No one's going to church. I'm just not going to go to church. That's the temptation. The test is to stay together. The test is to grow deeper into our community. The temptation is to let somebody else evangelize. Somebody else will do it. I'm okay. I'm just going to stay here like, hey, we're all under quarantine. I'm cool. I can just stay back. The test is reaching out to our community, our church family. We're going to be tested. We're going to have to call each other. We're going to have to communicate with each other. The temptation is to wait until we get our school back and and then see if everyone shows up again and take a six-week break. That's the temptation is to say, I'll come back when I see an email that says we go back to the school. That's really tempting. The test is to say, we need to be involved and we need to test and grow our church through our testing and grow deeper in our faith together. We will all be tempted to say, you know what? Life is shut down right now. I'll come back to church later. I'll evangelize later. I'll be faithful later. I'll... You know what? Everything's closed. I can just put my Bible on the shelf for a few weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot close our Bibles. It is not closed. Amen? James says that giving in to that sinful desire of temptation gives birth to death. Right? I want you to see how important that that statement is. It might not be your spiritual death that comes out of giving in to that temptation, but what if, what if we give in to that temptation to say, you know what, Um, everything's shut down, I'm just going to kind of give up on small group, I'm going to give up on, on going into church, I'm healthy, but you know what, I'm going to use this as an excuse. What if, though, that temptation leads to the spiritual death of somebody who we were supposed to talk to in the next six weeks and we didn't? What if it's not our spiritual death, but it's the spiritual death of somebody that you are the only person that God has put in their life. You are their seed and we refuse to plant. That could lead to a spiritual death for us being tempted to just give up, right? To go into spiritual hibernation. It's not that it can only affect us, but it could affect those others who we are supposed to reach. Would it be fair to say that there is a way to safely spread the gospel without spreading the virus? There is a way to do it. As long as they will let us meet, we will meet. But there are ways that we can reach out to people in our community and tell them about the saving grace of Jesus. Amen? We have to continue to preach Jesus. We cannot stop. Our church is going to have much more, and you're going to find a lot of churches that are going to move online quite a bit. You'll find us more active on Facebook. You'll find us more active on Instagram. You'll find us more active in email and in text message. Yeah, we might bother you with a bunch of text messages here soon. I want you to know that if we fall to the temptation of saying, you know what, we're just not going to communicate, then we're not living up to that test of reaching out and growing deeper and growing stronger as a church. 
There might come a time in the next few weeks when you get a phone call from somebody, one of the church leaders, to say, hey, can you take a list of 10 names and call these people every week just to say hi, just to say what could we be praying for you about? We might have to do that as a church. We probably should be doing that right now as a church, amen? I will guarantee you this. When we come out of this, our church is going to look different than when we went into this, and that very well might be a good thing. Testing leads to strength. We're going to be tested. We are going to come out of this stronger than when we walked in. James says this finally in in verse number 16. He says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is is a gift coming down to us from our From God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens, He never changes or casts a shadow, a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us and by giving us His true word and we out of all creation became His prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I'll tell you this, you are going to see a lot of people who are going to get angry very quick on social media. There's actually people right now on our own Facebook page that are angry that we are meeting right now here at this church. We're quick to listen. As a church, we are slow to speak and we are slow to anger. We're safe to speak. We're going to be quick to speak about Jesus, but we're going to be slow to respond to people who are angry that we are meeting. We have to meet. We are told we have to go and we have to tell others about Jesus. We're going to do it safely. But human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The final point in your notes this morning is this. God knows the details of our trials because he saw them coming before we did. He knows the details of our trials. He knows what we're going through. He knows what our world is going through, but he knows what you are going through in your life. He knows what our church is going through. He already knows our answer. He knows where we came from. He knows where we're going. He knows that. It's not our job to worry. It's our job to follow. We follow where God leads. I'll tell you, God doesn't lead to worry. God leads to joy. Amen? I want you to think about Job for a minute. Back in the book of Job. You know they say that Job, scholars will say that Job was probably the very first book written. Not, not in our New Testament. Genesis is the first in the timeline. But Job, it's a very, very, very old text. God knew the ending of Job's trials because God was there in the planning stages of his trials. And we actually see that in the story. As, as God is having a conversation with Satan in this story. God's there at the beginning stages of Job's trials. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God knew the outcome. 
Even when Job felt alone, God knew what the outcome was. God had Job speak to three friends, and none of them came up with the correct answer to the trials that Job was facing. Would it be fair to say that many of us have friends who are going to try and tell us what's going to happen, tell us what we need to do? You go on Facebook, and somebody's got the answer for you, right? There are so many different answers. If, if, If you go to the world of coronavirus YouTube... Oh, you're going, to get, you're going to be crazy with the amount of direction that's going to be given to you. Now, I'm not saying that we don't talk to our friends and talk to our neighbors. But if we're talking to our friends and neighbors for answers and we're not talking to God, we're not going to hear the right answer. Job had to see the things that he want. He had to see the things the way that God saw them. Job needed the wisdom to say, I'm not going to get answers from this world. I'm going to get answers from God. Now I need to be safe. God's put health professionals in our path. The people who are calling shots, the people who are saying no groups meet uh, uh, over 250 people. He's put these people here for us. We're to pray for our leaders. There are people who know a whole lot more about this than we do. We're going to follow their lead. We have to follow their lead. I know nothing about this. When it comes to health concerns, when it comes to physical health concerns, I don't want you coming to me and saying, Pastor, um, no, I'm not a health professional. Spiritual care? Yeah. Spiritual health? We need to come together. I'm going to help you with that. But there are professionals that God has put in our lives to help us through health care matters. We need to pay attention. We need to see these things the way that God sees them. It's going to take wisdom. And if we don't have that wisdom, God says, ask me for it and I will give it to you. But I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe. Our church is going to be fine. God's got this. Our world is going to be fine. God's got this. He knows our trial because He had our church planned before we were even born. We must count this trial as joy and see it the way that God sees it. As we're going through this, we need to keep ourselves safe. We need to come together as a church. Temptation is going to say, stay at home, spread apart. Just let somebody else do it. We'll show back up in six weeks when it's fine. Let me tell you what, and and we've talked about this. This church, everyone has a part. Every part of the body operates a different aspect of the body, right? I don't lead kids' ministry. There's many things at this church that that I don't do. I don't pick up the donuts in the morning. Jerry, thank you for picking up the donuts. Jerry has a part. He's a part of the body. I personally, I'm I'm not putting the signs out there. Who did that? Uh, Paul, you did that this morning. You're part of the body, right? I don't know who put the tablecloth on back here. Angie, maybe Angie did that. Angie, you are part of this body. This body does not move without its parts. Amen? Amen. If you're sick, 
probably fair for us to stay at home so we're not spreading it. But as a church, we need our body. And we need our parts and we need wisdom. There are many things that our church is going to grow into in the next four, five, six weeks. Things are going to be different. But you know what that means? That means there's parts of our church body that we don't even know exists right now. There are ministries that we need that we don't even know that we need a leader for right now. God has a direction for us that right now we don't know exactly what it is. We're going to follow Him. But there's going to be a time, and I promise you, and some of us church leaders in the city are already talking about it, how does the church reach our elderly? How do we reach those who are so afraid to leave their house right now? What can the church do? Our church might have a ministry here that we need to launch. That we might have a new piece of this ministry that a new leader needs to rise up here. The temptation the temptation that leads to death, the temptation can kill our church that leads to death if we follow our temptation and we just simply stay away. God is testing us to grow stronger. Amen? Amen. Wisdom is definitely something that we need and it's something that we need as a church and it's something that we need individually. I'm going to ask if Jerry would come this morning and if Jerry would pray. Isaiah, could I get that microphone back? And I'm going to ask for you individually to be praying for our church, to be praying for our community, to be praying for wisdom, to be praying for wisdom of our leaders. And most of all, I want you to know that through this, we are a very young, vulnerable church. But as we come together in strength and grow deeper, we can make it through this time period that we've got to get through. We're going to get through together. <clears throat> and together means that we're going to stand up to the test, but we're going to reject the temptation. Amen? Jerry, will you lead us in prayer this morning?